0: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio, and we are here to talk about some really fun things surrounding Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, We hope that would get better this week, but I'm sorry to say it hasn't. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my two extra special co-hosts coming to us live from the wilds of the East Atlanta suburbs. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, how are things down there?
1: First of all, I don't live in the suburbs. How dare you? Uh Uh-huh.
0: I've seen those yards. I've seen those big mansions.
1: Atlanta is just a very, you know, suburbany vibe kind of a city.
0: (laughs) What's that? So how are the suburbs? We can't hear you. So how are the suburbs? Oh, Brian's trying to talk, sorry.
2: (laughs) No, it's fine. Didn't have anything to say just Thought talking about ryan mason's win percentage over here
0: ben, ben do you have any um uh, do you do you have anything you want to address with the listeners before we get started on today's show any um any comments from the peanut gallery that uh you might want to discuss i don't th-
1: i don't think so okay fair enough.
0: um now we have brian coming to us wait I,
1: do i what is this a reference <laughs> to
0: i i think it's in reference to. Uh, just certain political, yeah, you, you know, you know, certain political views that you've expressed. Oh.
1: The, oh, the blood of millions that I have on my hands.
0: <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> How is Daniel Levy responsible I think for that? The, I think the death toll speaks for itself, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention our win-loss record. <laughs> uh, next right. up, uh, uh, Tottenham
1: Hotspur—just one more victim of communism. <laughs>
0: Next up, we have coming to us from the slopes of South Florida, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, what was that win percentage we were looking up before the podcast started?
2: 57% 57 win percentage for Ryan Mason. Not quite as good as Tim Sherwood.
0: What what was Tim Sherwood at?
2: I don't know. More than that. 60%. I don't know.
0: We know it's second to none, so that's the important thing.
2: (laughs) Definitely way ahead of Antonio Conte's.
0: So, now that we've moved past uh, Ryan Mason's win percentage and Ben's war crimes, uh, it is time to talk about another war crime, which is our game against Wolves. This wasn't fun. I, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I shouldn't have been expecting this. I thought we were going to win this one. I didn't think, even when the lineups came out, I thought those, that was all very reasonable rotation. And this was a team that could handle Wolves. I, I don't know if it, it might be a team that could handle Wolves, but they sure didn't that day. But... Uh, Brian, I want to start with you. How much of this, how much of this was just systemic, and how much of this was we made some very bad errors?
2: Um, I think mostly it's the errors, um, especially happening as early in the game as they did. Um, you've got Hugo, who is largely speaking one of our most consistent players, um, making a pretty bad mistake on the first goal, and then. The the second goal, you've just got, I don't know, a, a lot of mistakes, a lot of bad decision making. And I don't think that systemically uh, Antonio Conte can put in place a pattern that convinces Ben Davis to, you know, put that ball into touch instead of clearing it right to Wolves. Like, I, I, I don't know what you do with that. Um, so... You know, and then afterwards, um, once we kind of made changes and everything, we actually started to look a little better. You saw some of the play look better, but and uh, even when we went to four at the back. But, you know, I, I think those two early errors are, are, are just too much to overcome. <sighs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> what was that? Nothing, nothing, Brian. I I, I
0: was just uh, gesticulating. Definitely wasn't on mute. Ben, uh you were you were doing some gloating that I was very angry about during the match. Would you like to do it here about Hugo Lloris?
1: Well, I mean, I don't actually <laughs> feel this way, but I have mentioned before when we signed Hugo to his extension that, like, the risk of signing an older keeper to an extension is the cliff's going to come sooner or later, and you don't know when it's going to hit. I don't think this was, you know, an example of Hugo suddenly being past it, but, you know, it is it was frustrating and it's frustrating to have so many holes in this team that like your normally reliable guys let you down you know we're just not good enough to be able to withstand the good players being shitty so
0: i want to stay on hugo for a minute because i generally tend to agree with brian where it's we got sucker punched sucker we got we had two major setbacks very early and i think it colored the rest of the match and whether or not that should have been the case is another matter but you look at those Hugo errors, Ben, and generally when I think of a keeper falling off a cliff, I i, mean, I guess this technically falls under this. I think of someone who makes poor split-second decisions in terms of like when to come out for the ball or they can't quite get to balls anymore or whatever. These were just like, I don't know. Like, If we're talking about the decline of Hugo, this, this isn't the kind of thing that I, I associate with that because they were just real head-scratchers. I mean, if I had to... I mean, if you pressed me and I had to chalk it up to something, I would say, this is not a keeper or that looks very comfortable with his defense, and some of that might be due to you know certain players are out, but that's what it seemed mm-hmm. like to me, but I mean, Hugo just put us in really ugly, I mean, other stuff had to happen too, but Hugo just put himself in an ugly position twice, and I know mm-hmm. that you know, Wolves was play, were playing pretty well in the first half, but, like, those were, I mean, I think there was one other ch- really good chance, but those were the chances that changed this game, that he just sort of instantly put himself back under pressure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first goal especially is, like, he saved it into danger, and then he came for a ball that he had plenty of time to catch, and instead he tries to, like, leap over, I can't remember which center back it is, and makes a very sloppy punch. And, you know, I don't know if that's the split-second decision-making you're talking about, where, like, a, you know, a, a peak keeper will will think better um, because they're not, like, worried about, you know, their physical abilities. But, you know, I don't really think that was any anything... If it happens again in another game, I may start to worry. But I think, you know... We've seen Hugo make just errors sometimes. It happens to everybody. I think that was much more in line with just he had a bad day, he had a little brain fart, and not anything to really worry about. But if it is something to worry about, boy, it could not have come at a worse time having just signed him to an extension.
0: Well, and I think that was, I mean, kind of what sucked about this match, which was don't want to take away from wolves but I don't think after the first 20 minutes Spurs played all that badly now maybe I think it's the caveat here is wolves might have taken their foot off the gas and the fact of the matter is we didn't score I do think we forced we forced um saw into a couple really impressive saves but like you know I don't think Spurs were ever on top of this game in the way that like you know you'd say we're hard done by but I don't think they were bad for the rest of the match and I think as soon as we made that shift and put Kulishevsky on. I thought they looked a lot better. I thought Kulishevsky was actually, you know, not super impressive, but, like, certainly gave you the kind of performance you can dream on a little bit for the rest of the match.
1: I think, you know, you're right. There are positives. We didn't play badly. But, like, the rest of the game was pretty even, which, you know, when you're down two goals, like, we need to be able to – really take more control over a game, really create better opportunities for ourselves. Um, but, like, they, they gave as good as they got over the remaining of the game. It wasn't like we just couldn't find a breakthrough and we, like, had them under pressure for the rest of the, the match. It was it was a fairly even
0: game. No, you're, right. you're absolutely right. It's not like, say, I mean, it's, it's a different type of game, but you look at, like, the Leicester match where we were down 2-1 late and, you know, any sane person's going to say Spurs were the better team that day and Leicester just got lucky. It wasn't like that, but... I don't think, certainly after that, those two goals, that we were 2-0 worse than them. It was just, I don't know. It, it was a frustrating match to watch, especially because it came after another frustrating match, which was where I think we got tactically sort of outplayed in a way that, you know, I don't want to say Wolves are bad in this match, but I don't think they sort of like outmatched us in the way Southampton did.
2: No, well, I mean, I disagree with that a little bit because, you know, you listen to uh, Wolf's manager Bruno Lodge's postgame comments and he basically says, hey, we, you know, we got the scouting reports and we knew that we could be better than them and control the game if we put three in midfield because our three midfielders, even though one is a 19 year old on his Premier League debut, Premier League debut, I can use words, um, are better than their two. And that's kind of what we saw for the first 25 minutes. And then we bring on Kulosevsky to play as the 10 and kind of drop into midfield. And Harry Kane starts dropping into midfield a little bit more. And, 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 and we are able to exert a little bit of control. Um, but, I think this is going to be a problem we're going to see the rest of the way. Um, if it's not teams pressuring us hard like Southampton did, it's going to be playing against three-man midfields. And now, look, Dendonker and Nevis are two pretty good midfielders out of a three-man midfield, and maybe we're not going to play against, you know, as good a three-man midfields against Burnley or Leeds or whatever. Uh, but... If you don't have the talent of players to work around, uh, you know, being outnumbered in the middle of the pitch and you don't have effective players out wide to sufficiently bypass the midfield or or, to stretch the play such that you can utilize the midfield in some way, shape or form, we're not going to have a lot of success the rest of the way. And I think, I know we pick on him a lot, but I think the big problem in this match specifically specifically was Harry Winks, who certainly in the first half. Sure. and, and, And who, after looking like he was undergoing some sort of renaissance under Conte has really regressed in the last few matches and now looks like same old Harry Winks, where he's just doing a lot of pointing and shouting. He's not getting, you know, he's not breaking up play. He's not as good on the forward passes. And Benton Kirk can only do so much. So I don't I, – it's well, it's is, is, is Winks
0: regressing or are we doing that thing where we're asking him to do things he can't do again? Because it's like, you know, he's not a guy who's good at getting pressed a lot. He's a, good, he's a good sort of midfielder in possession. And, I mean, I know I was certainly most impressed with Winks when he sort of like – he was almost playing in a sort of sweeper role in front of the defense where it's just like you are there to transition the ball from – like our back line to our to our midfield or our final third and you know frankly just not at you know not being put under a lot of pressure and you know because a there's so many players around him and b he's being played so far back so it's just you know it's it's I think I mean Conte is an excellent manager but he keeps wanting us to play in a way that our personnel doesn't match up with and I understand the frustration because it's mid-season and he wants to play a certain way but if like if the horses aren't there, I mean, you know, you got to figure something else out. And you know, is cert- that an
1: expression about horses. Not yeah, being so there? I, you know what? I realized
0: that halfway through, but I'm just going to, you know, as a professional podcaster, <laughs> I just kept plowing through. But it's, you know, it's like if we. You, had, it would have been
2: easier to plow if you had more horses.
0: Yeah, you. you know exactly. If if you had a cow or something, you know, you could pull the plow. An ox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, but it's, you know, it's it's just. I think he is not. Serving Winks well because he's asking him to do something that you know we, we've seen that Winks is not great at doing against at least certainly against quality opponents and he's kind of hanging him out to dry. Now I think it's worth pointing out Winks had a much better second half but that's the problem with Winks is even when he's capable of playing well if he switches off it can just be such a disaster if you don't have the right guys around him and without Skip we're just really suffering and it's you know I would like to see us you know like I mean you know I I think Hoiberg's a little overrated by Spurs fans, but I don't have a problem with like, you know, I mean, if skips hurt. You can run like Benton Kerr, Hoiberg, Hoiberg and Winks out there. I mean, I, again, I don't know if there's injuries or fitness concerns that are leading this, but certainly you can run those guys out there and create like a more coherent midfield that protects everyone.
1: Yeah. And I, so I want to respond to what Brian said first, before I get into what you said, Greg, but You know, I think the Southampton game was a much more dispiriting performance because we got so comprehensively outplayed. But I think the Wolves match was much bleaker for how much less Wolves had to do to achieve the same result. Like, Southampton managed to disrupt our patterns and our ability to progress the ball with, like, a full court press for 90 minutes just, like, running us into the ground, denying us the ability to have time on the ball to move it. And, you know, we didn't cope with that well. And, like, we've had trouble progressing the ball all season, and they were able to do a really specific thing to make that fall apart. And then you get out of that and you think, well, not everybody's going to be able to press us like that. It should be fine. And then you play a team like Wolves, whose only solution is to just, like, stick a third guy in midfield and kind of hassle Winks and Betancourt a little bit. And like, that was enough to achieve basically the same result. Like we just could not move the ball and we could not handle being harried a little bit and put under the slightest amount of pressure. And then we fell apart in the back line. Um, And I, I don't know how to fix that short of just hoping we have better players soon, because like you said, we had a, a solution that Conte found for getting the best out of Winks in a midfield like this, and he just abandoned it. You know, we've seen him play three-man midfields that produced some of our best performances of the season against Liverpool, against Leicester, and he's abandoned it just to get Lucas Moura on the pitch. I mean, it could and be his like, fitness
0: issues. That's the other thing that we shouldn't like. Like Hoyberg might need a rest. Like you know, he might not want to risk all those guys because Skip's still out. I, there, yeah, there maybe. could be reasons we're doing this that make that makes some level of sense, but it's just not working.
1: Even right. even I mean, putting,
0: like, but and that's the thing, Ben. I think we sorry sorry. I don't mean to cut you off too much, but like putting Kulishevsky on to like drop deep and do some of that scut work helped. I, I mean, you know, like I understand it's not the same as getting one of those other guys on, but it it made a difference.
1: Right, and you know, it's like we've seen Lucas play as like an auxiliary. Inside midfielder who kind of moves from inside areas to outside areas. And like, he wasn't being asked to do that. He wasn't being asked to chip in and lend uh, support to that midfield, too, knowing we were outmanned, um, just, you know, number of bodies. It's like, I just don't really understand what Conte's approach was. I- I'll give him credit for like acting very quickly and changing things up um, rather than waiting until the halftime or the 60th minute. Like other managers we've had recently are were wont to do, but
0: I you mean, mean like every it was manager we've had yeah. ever has been want to do. Yep,
1: yep. You know, like so, like that's positive, but it's just not good enough.
2: I did think it was interesting that Cessignon was the one that got the hook instead of you know Ben Davis or, or Davison Sanchez.
0: It seems to be more about formation and. Than anything
2: Sessegnon. I mean, Doherty. Yeah, but well, I mean, Doherty Sessegnon can on left right back.
0: Seems like the obvious
2: solution to me, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yank Davis, he was at fault for the second goal. And then Sessegnon plays left back instead. Like, I don't know. I don't know that that makes us score two goals and, you you know, any better, but. Well, I think is,
0: that's where it gets frustrating. I, I, I think that there was a moment in the match for me, which and I, you don't realize it in the moment. Um, you realize it a few minutes later, which is. It was right before the second goal. It might have been almost immediately before the second goal where I want to say it was Benton who releases son and son gets behind their defense. He's queuing up the ball, but for a shot, but like, you know, there's, there's some people in the way he he doesn't have a great shot. So he just like has this sort of timid, let's go with the ball in the box. And it was just sort of, I thought endemic of the whole performance that we saw against wolves where it was like we got some guy like Harry Kane I thought had a good game and guys got into good positions occasionally they just like 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 I thought played well but when it came time to shoot it was by and large they just like didn't try anything didn't do anything and it just got frustrating to watch over and over and over again that they weren't taking their chances
1: I mean yeah I mean to, to just to praise Kane he had eight shots like he wasn't not trying
0: If there is anyone on the pitch who doesn't deserve any grief, it's Kane. Like, whatever else you can say about Kane, he was having a good game. He just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, I think
1: it's hard. When you start with a back five and, like, four of them were just terrible. Like, there's only so many guys you can rage sub here to make things better. And, you know, we we keep just, like, needing to have that, that perfect 11 to make anything work. And everything short of that is Ooh. feels like a
0: disaster. Yeah, I think I think Tottenham Hotspur have you know I think they have a Champions League eleven. I think I think their first eleven, if they're all they're all fit, that's a Champions League level team. That's a top four team. If you put if you could just you know, this is a game of FIFA and you can guarantee that no one's getting injured, you know, I'll take our first eleven over most of the other first elevens that we're like fighting with to get fourth. Like I I think we're better than Arsenal. I think we're better than at least United under this manager. You know, I I, I think we're a good team. It's the problem the Spurs have is this, one of the problems Spurs have is their depth. And something I want to get to, because I'm curious what you guys think of it, because I I think think it was very easy to dismiss a lot of the stuff we saw under the Mourinho era. There's something that has been sticking with me a lot under um, lately as I've been thinking about these last two matches and certainly how things were going under Nuno was, you know, there was a clip in that stupid Amazon documentary where Harry Kane's talking about guys, like, hiding on the pitch and not accepting responsibility. I think you know what I'm talking about. But, like, and I think at the time, we all sort of, like, dismissed that as sort of, like, macho, stupid sports bullshit. Like, I I think Kane hit on something. There is an issue here in terms of guys, like, I'm not talking about the pointy shouting thing, but, like, Guy's just, like, stepping up when it gets ugly. Like, I mean, there is, you know, again, I don't want to, like, imply that Benton Kerr, who, like, just got here and is learning the ropes, is, like, solely responsible for not organizing that midfield. But, you know, I do think one of the issues with our back line right now is whatever else you want to say about Dyer, I think he, like, we joke about the pointy-shouty thing, but, like, I think he is someone who helps organize that back line. Because as good as Romero is, you know... I mean, he is new, and especially new to Conte. So I think there is an issue with guys who are going to step up and take control on this team. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to hear too much of it from Harry Kane, who wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. But in terms of, like, what's going on in the match, I don't know if the guy was wrong, and I- I'm certainly taking that with a little more credence than I gave it at the time.
2: Um, I, 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 I honestly don't know how I feel about that. I think the idea of players accepting personal responsibility, or I guess in this case, being perceived to take personal responsibility to uh, uh, someone like us who's watching the game or something like that, is vastly overrated and is in general, you know, macho bullshit and, you know, performative. But I don't think that, I mean. I, I think I understand what you're trying to say but I you know I I think it, you know for me it, you would like to see just people who are calmer under pressure.
0: Yes, that's who good
2: are idea. who you know like like if you think back to kind of what was like spursy. Like this is the type of thing like this match was quote unquote spursy. And then you know you had under Pochettino, he came in and there was all the talk about, oh, we're eliminating Spurs as a phrase, like we're inst- instilling, like, you know, mental toughness and da-da-da-da-da. And you just had players who were, I think, perceived as being leaders and having cool heads under pressure. You had players like Aldo Vareld, Vertonghen, Dembele, um, you know, Ben Davis, Hugo Lloris, you know, people, people who weren't perceived as typical Spurs players in the way that they were, you know, flaky and creative. They were, they were staunch, they were resolute. They were all these sorts of adjectives that we associate with, um, you know, like captains and leaders and all that sort of stuff. And, and, I don't know. I I, I don't think that that is what this team is suffering from. I don't think it is an absence of leadership. I don't think it is an absence of players willing to take responsibility. I think it's just like unfamiliarity with a system and not being actually all that good.
0: I, I think there's a lot to that, but I guess I think you hit the nail on the head of what I was trying to say with like someone who calms things down. And gets things organized. And a player, and again, we're going back to an era where Spursy was a byword. So maybe if I'm totally off base, because you guys are longer tenured than I am, but like a guy I think of when I think of that is Ledley King, who we all know how good, we all know how good technically Ledley was. But like one of the things that always impressed me about Ledley was he would be next to some not as good center backs as him and other defenders. And he would, whether it was coaching them or telling them what to do or whatever, I mean, Michael Dawson is a perfect example. I don't think when Michael, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe some of our listeners are going to hate me for this. When Ledley King wasn't on the pitch, by and large, I don't think Ledley, or I don't think Michael Dawson was good enough to be at Spurs as a starter. But when Ledley King was next to him on a pitch, like Ledley King knew how to, you know, direct him, get other players organized, other, you know, not just Dawson, but other guys too. And that's what I think we're missing, at least in midfield. You know, I think Dyer gives us a little bit of that in defense, but he's also not as good as certain players, so that's a problem. But someone who just knows how to settle things down, and that's it, these games just feel like they get out of hand sometimes, and there's no one there to, like, I don't want to say direct traffic, but, you know, sort of, like, just take control of things. And that's what I, I do feel like there's that's something we're missing.
1: I think, you know, that's definitely a thing that, that is real. Like, leadership on the pitch even if it's fairly intangible to us as viewers, is a real and important thing. But like this team had four national team captains on the pitch, in in Davis, Hugo, Son, and Kane. Like is Davis really not... the the Welsh captain? Sometimes, okay, I think fair Bale enough. Your point
0: stands. I'm just sorry. <laughs> you know, but these
1: are all guys who have been like captains and leaders for their teams. Um, yeah, you know, I mean Harry Winks has even worn the armband for Spurs. You know, but I think as much as having a a leader to tell people what to do, a big component of what you're talking about is is just sort of trust and relationships, is knowing that you play your game and the guy behind you is going to play his game and, like, together it's going to work out. And, like, so far it's been so disrupted lately where we haven't had a settled back line, you know, we haven't had a settled midfield. You know, these guys, like, Bettencourt is brand new. Romero is pretty new to starting for this team. Like, I don't know that like people have a great understanding on the pitch, have a great, you know, relationships to know that like they're covered if they do this and what everybody's job is to the degree that especially a manager like Conte and his patterns depends really heavily on. Um, and so it's hard because it's, it's supposed to all work as a unit and, it doesn't look like a unit yet. It looks like 11 guys. And, and,
0: and you know what? That makes total sense. You look at all the turnover this club's had, not just this year, where we've had a new manager midseason and just a pretty disruptive transfer window, but like, what is it, four managers in like two years, or it feels like that? You know, I mean, there's been a lot of turnover at this club, and that's that's not even getting into like sort of how the roster's been churned, but it just yeah it it's it you're right, you're absolutely right, Ben. It makes total sense that these things are a problem, given everything that's gone on at the club. It's just you know, and I think that's hard to buy because you know I do think there is a level of like you know we're not just looking for that macho bullshit. we're looking for people who know what they're doing, and you know also it's how those people relate to the other people on the pitch. So We have Benton Cornell, who I think is probably gonna be the type of player we're talking about one day, if not very soon, eventually. You know, how's he going to interact with who we have on our back line? All these other things, you know, and it's it's about assembling that new team. And weirdly, that's one of the things that I feel pretty confident about with um, the new regime, which is, you know, I think Paratici has a, excuse me, a very scattergun approach to transfers, but I think Conte focuses it in a certain way. And I think eventually we are going to get there, but right now it's kind of tough to watch. Like you said, Ben, it's it's just, there's been so much disruption and hopefully things will settle. Now it looks like Dyer is going to come back on the weekend. Um, hopefully that'll help. It seems like skip is about a week or so away. Hopefully that'll help. I, I mean, I think there's a lot that I, I don't think this is negative as Spurs fans do t- uh, seem to think right now, but and I think there's a lot to work with on this team, but it, it's just, it's not quite working right now. And that's, really frustrating when you saw how well it was working in the fall and the, or in the early winter.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a stats going around about our record without skip and Dyer and to a lesser extent, Dierg, who I don't think really counts because he plays basically every game anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, when they're not there, we don't win games and it's not because Dyer and skip are transcendent talents. It's that you need those guys to kind of glue everything together so that the transcendent talents of Kane and Son and whoever can, like, do their thing. Um, and Perry Winks and Davison Sanchez just aren't it. You
2: know, I think it's it just, it's telling how far we've come from where we as a group were complaining about skip after the first, what, three or four games of the season. And now we're like, Ugh, well, we can't win without him.
0: But you know what? I think, I think, I think we were a little hard on Skip. I think Skip needed time to adjust. And I, sure. I, I am serious about this. I think I don't think it gets talked about enough. I think it is making a huge difference that Oliver Skip is learning under one of the best managers in the world. I think it's going to make a huge difference for him going forward. When he lead, when 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 Antonio Conte quits Spurs in April, it's going to be great that he got these months of his development. But you know, and I think it's. You know, I think it's telling that with his other options that he, you know, I, I'm sure there's some, you know, other reasons, but I think it's telling that Conte stuck with him and I'm sure some of it's just that Skip's a young guy who's going to do whatever he tells him, but, you know, Skip is, I was wrong. I mean, you know, I, I want to say it here. He, he I mean, he, I thought he was overmatched by the Premier League, certainly for a team at Spurs level, and I was completely wrong about that. I mean, Skip is a really good midfielder and I, I, I don't mean, think we finished. should be this, I don't think we should be this hurt by his absence, but... You know, it's uh, he's been impressive.
2: In fairness, he was definitely overmatched those first few games.
0: Absolutely, but also his manager was Nuno, who right. we all realize now was not only bad but checked out. So, but
2: but I I do think that like it took those first three or four matches yeah. for him to adjust to just the speed of the game mm-hmm. after coming from a season in the championship, and and then after that, he's he's been good. Well, I, he's, you know. I,
0: he was almost instantly productive under Conte. Like, you know, as soon as someone was telling him like, do this, you know, not just run around and chase down balls. Like, you know, it's been, it's been really incredible. Like, yeah, you know,
2: I mean, I think he, I think he definitely can follow directions. Like if his direction is receive the ball, kick it here. And you know, that's it. Then I think he's, but he's like, his plays gotten smarter. Honestly, I'm very impressed with Oliver skip and it's
0: not because I think he's a robot who will just do what he's told. Although I think that, with Antonio Conte here, the fact that he's so young and will do that is helpful, but, you know, I, I, skip is really impressive But I don't follow, I'm American, so I don't follow these things closely. I'm a little surprised. He's not more in the conversation for England um, than he is, but I mean, he's really, he's a, i I'm very impressed with him as a midfielder.
2: Um, And then I guess our other, the, the other midfielder that we just signed, Benton Carr, he, he's great. I've been, I've been really surprised by his play in his sub appearance and then and then in this match, just in terms of what we had been told about him. We'd been told, you know, safe passing, very tidy, you know, doesn't really try anything risky or dangerous. We'll pass it sideways a bunch. He's tried a bunch of nifty shit in midfield. He's, and he's
0: broken made... lines more than
2: once. I mean yeah, I mean, like his first pass pass as a Spurs player or well his first touch as a Spurs player was some cute little dummy flick to wrong footed defender and then the next touch was to the the first pass was to play like a crazy through ball um and he, and he, you know he, he did some of that stuff again against Wolves like you mentioned earlier this the chance for son that he played um the line breaking pass for and you know I, he looks really good I mean I know that he was kind of like Involved in the deflections that led up to that first goal, but so was everyone oh, else in the back. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much I'm going to pin that on him, but you know, I I think he has been really, really good, and especially for the price we paid for him, uh, I think he's a going to be a really good signing for this team. Ben, can you
0: can you talk a little about Kulshovski? Because I was. I thought he had a fairly nondescript debut, but I was actually, all things considered, really impressed with how he played against Wolves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think... You know, he didn't do a ton of, like, super eye-catching stuff. He wasn't, like, you know, taking a bunch of amazing shots, playing a bunch of crazy passes. But, you know, he is a guy who... A, I think worked harder than I was maybe expecting. You know, he seems like a, a dribbly flair guy, and you don't necessarily know what that's going to mean like in terms of how much application he's going to give you off the ball. Um, and as someone who didn't, like, regularly watch him, um, that was a surprise. I thought he was very busy, very very hardworking, and very, you know, uh, supportive of... his his teammates and looking for the ball and trying to relieve pressure and get on the ball and not just, like, standing around in the final third waiting for the ball to come to him so he could, like, try something. Um, But, yeah, I mean, he had a couple good shots and a couple neat passes. Uh, I think after the first game, everyone was talking about how slow he looked and how ponderous he was, but that seemed to be way less of the case. Like, he had one burst, that I recall, that, like, he really took off I, I don't know, uh, you know, what exactly we're going to get out of him and how we're, exactly we're going to use him. And part of me worries a little bit that he's like going to fall into that Steven Bergvine situation where he's like, well, he's got a lot of tools, we don't really know what to do with it. Let's just stick him somewhere. Um, but I mean, I think, I think Conte likes him. I think Paratici certainly likes him. You know, I think he's a guy who, who, because he was bought for this manager, is less likely to fall into that kind of positionless black hole utility man thing and is going to be a guy we're going to figure out how to work into this team. Um, And, you know, I think the way we kind of saw him as a 10 behind Son and Kane um, is, I think, if Conte is reluctant to play a true midfield three, and wants to play a front three. That's kind of the way to square the circle to get that third attacker on the pitch, but also have him be, you know, a little midfieldy. Um, it, I don't know what that means for Lucas, who Conte also seems to fucking love.
0: But I mean, Lucas is an old man, so I mean, I, I say he's a man ten years older than Lucas, but yeah. <laughs> um, No, I was really encouraged by seeing him play as a 10 for that long in the match because I was kind of worried he'd be some sort of weird, fringy – like, he's on the right, but he can't really run, so what's he going to do? Like, I was really encouraged. Maybe because I'm just fixated on that, like, Scandinavian number 10 thing um, and just sort of chasing that dragon of Christian Eriksen, but I I was very – maybe just like that he was able to sort of work so well centrally I'm a little more excited than I ought to be, but I was really encouraged to see that. Cause I feel like ever since Erickson sort of checked out, we've been kind of looking for that central playmaker and we've only gotten it in like bits, fits and starts with Ndombele and LaCelso. So Kuliszewski can actually do that. Like I'm real excited for that. So I would like to, I mean, we're not going to learn a whole lot again. I mean, hope maybe we'll learn something against City, but I'm not going to hold a negative performance against anyone this Saturday. So Maybe in the game's upcoming, we're going to see more of that. But I was I was very encouraged. Maybe I, again, I could be just grasping at straws here, but I was very encouraged by what Kulishevsky sort of did in the center of
1: the pitch. I mean, he came into a tough situation, two goals down on a new team, you know, having barely played for us so far, and I thought he acquitted himself.
0: Well, very at a minimum, he helped well. stop the bleeding. I mean, whatever else you want to say about the performance, it stopped the bleeding. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with you. If like if he doesn't want to like throw that third midfielder on, I think Kulishevsky's like sort of kind of midfield stuff could be a neat solution there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hopefully by the time we get, you know, Skip and Dyer and Betancore and Kulishevsky all on the pitch together and figure out our right wing back situation. This is it a conversation really we
0: this is a conversation we've never had before. Um,
1: just need all these guys there together.
0: I want to talk about the aftermath of this game. And there's a, we're going to, as part of this, I want to get into the sort of comments that Conte had today. This is, God forbid, in case something else happens. that We're recording this on a Wednesday, just to be clear. Um, but, Ben, you sort of summarized it both in our writer's room and on Twitter. I want to like sort of start you off on this conversation. But the sort of overall mood of Spurs fans right now. Uh, I'm just going to sort of cede the floor to you unless you take it from here.
1: Oh, it's bad. It's bad, boys.
0: Really? <laughs> really? You don't say.
1: You know, it. it's like we won like nine games in a row or something, I felt like. And everybody was very confident about the Champions League, whatever. And then we hit a, like a three-game buzzsaw against Chelsea. <laughs> and, you know, we tried to tell ourselves like, okay, we can get through this. And then As soon as the Southampton game happened, it was just like nobody had any patience anymore. Everyone was convinced that this was like the beginning of the end. And the beginning of the end because we're terrible, because Conte's a bad coach, or alternatively Conte's such a good coach, he doesn't have time for Spurs, and he's going to leave us in two months. And it's just like we hired a manager in the middle of a season that was – was going so badly, so badly. But, you know, for us to even be in the top four conversation as quickly as we were was was a huge deal. And I think it did not do the fans uh, a, a good turn because it didn't allow for us to accept that this was going to be a transition and that Conte needed room to grow into the job and that the team needed room to grow into Conte's demands. You know, we just thought all of a sudden we were going to be great again. And as soon as we weren't, you know, any, any patience we have um, for a new manager just went completely out the window. Like, we made excuses for Nuno, like, way, well, not we, but, like, people. Made excuses I did. I'll Nudo. be fair. It was me. <laughs> I did it. Way longer than this. And it, there just seems to be this strain of, like, fatalism, where we've been such a banter club for so long and for so many years.
0: Of nah, our, it's been two our, of years. It's been two I mean, years. But I understand I mean, what you're I, saying. I, I just want to point out, like, look at West Ham, who've been, like, the butt of a joke for, like, their entire existence, certainly the last 10 years, as long as I've been a fan. like
2: Since they won I, England I, the World Cup anyway.
0: Yeah, so, you know, a while. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, I'm continuing.
1: Well, yeah, but it's just like, we've just been in that position for so long, and so many of us have defined our fandom by words like Spursy and concepts like St. Totteringham's Day and, you know, being in other teams' shadows and notoriously fucking things up and not being ambitious enough and ruining managers and all this fucking shit. And it's like, we've started to believe that about ourselves and, like taken some warped pride in the fact that like, we're just like such a fucked up club. And it's it's just just a terrible mentality to have, like to not be able to believe that like things can get better and that we can turn this around. Like Pochettino just happened. Like it wasn't that long ago where we went from like our manager being like run out on a rail for like tax fraud and like, trying to, like, his dog His job. dog's
0: tax fraud, Ben. Thank you very you know? much. All
1: right, and then turning into a team that, like, made a Champions League final, finished second in the league, like, made Champions League, like, four years in a row. Like, that happened. We got there. Like I'd when's like, the
0: last time Arsenal's finished above us? Like, I mean, think about that. Like, if you're that
2: season, we should have won the league, but then okay, finished third yeah, instead. thanks, Brian.
0: My point is, think about like the last time we finished above Arsenal before that, and even like as bad as the last couple of years have been, we still finish above them. I sat with right. Ben watching the uh, we we drew, I think, the West Ham, which was the at the, at the end of one of Pochettino's first seasons, and I think it meant that like we weren't going to finish ahead of Arsenal that year. And I saw how angry you were during that day. So that Ben is more optimistic than like the majority of our fan base. I want to be just clear to our listeners, like how far gone our fan base must be. Well,
2: and for me and not not to steal Ben's thunder, but you know, (laughs) for, for me, it's just frustrating that everything that happens is the death knell of Spurs Football as we know it, like every single transfer or set or setback of any kind, or or bad performance means that player X is a failure. Means that you know uh, the manager doesn't know what they're doing. That the the director of football that bought the player is a fraud. That leave should have given the club more money to buy a player that's better than the bad player that had the bad performance. And it's just like, it's this whole, like, cascade of stupid, like, doomerism. And it's just exhausting. Like, things just can't be bad because, you know, Hugo had a brain fart. Or things just can't be bad because hey, this guy has been the manager for three or four months and, you know, this is just what it looks like. Um, You know, everything has to be fatalism from top to bottom. And it's frustrating.
0: There's a sense of... I'm going to take us on a long journey for a second, so bear with me. There's a sense, I feel like, among... At least in sports, that I've gotten the feeling... For that like people just want to know the answer whether it's like how are we tactically going to get better how is it like how could that game have been won what's wrong with things people kind of want to skip to the end of the book for lack of a better term and that's something i understand because that's something i have throughout my life it's something my therapist called have to be like as soon as i started seeing her it's something like i don't want to wait i don't want to go on the journey i want to know how it's going to end and i see that a lot amongst football fandom whether it's the sort of interest in stats, which is like seeking to explain the game in a certain way, to lay it bare, or just, you know, what we see with Spurs fans right now, which is like, okay, well, we signed Conte, it's not his first three weeks, why aren't we humming? You know, why Why did we take a step backwards? Not, you know, there's no patience for, well, we played Chelsea and they were pretty good, and now we're playing, you know, some decent teams that we probably should be, but where there's some issues going on and, you know, sometimes di- some days you just get unlucky and there's just no patience for it because they want to skip to the end of the book. And it's just, you know, it's, it's this like, like you said, Ben, it's like, everything's just, or Brian, everything's awful. Everything's terrible. It's like, there's no sort of just patience for letting things play out. And it's, It's exhausting. It is exhausting to focus on Spurs right now. And, you know, Nathan Clark on the Extra Inch this week was talking about how, like, you know, he'll come out after a game like this week and be like, well, you know, the XG shows this is as bad as it looked. You know, like, this game was better than it felt or whatever. And he gets yelled at for being, like, a happy clapper, you know, like, for for being, like, a bootlicker or whatever. And it's, you know, like, if you just call the club losers or whatever... And you say it loud enough, then like, oh, Daniel Levy's going to like wake up and either sell the club or, you know, like spend more money or the club's going to play better or something like that. And it's just, I don't know, it's this like, we talk a lot about like supporting the team and like they're getting booed off at halftime. I mean, they got, the Wolves game's maybe a little different, but like they got booed off at Southampton when it was 1-1 at halftime, which is like, you know, we didn't play great, but it's 1-1, guys. Like we still probably should have won that game after Sun scored that second goal. I mean, I don't know. It's just Spurs fandom is so toxic. And I think a lot of it is just because, you know, getting back to what you were talking about, Ben, we've just been so, through so much grief over the last few years. I think there's just no patience for, all right, well this time we figured it out. And this is the guy that needs patience, not Mourinho or Nuno or whatever. It's just, you know, it's they just want to skip to the end of the story because, you know, they, it's it's been so miserable up until now, which is, within context, we were in the Champions League final like two years ago, (laughs) three years ago, I guess, at this point.
1: I think one of the hard parts is that, like, our expectations got skewed so much by the Pochettino era where, you know, for a long time, we were so happy with just the prospect of, like, reaching fourth place. Would have been, like, the best day ever. And I remember when that finally happened in, you know, 2010. It was like... It was amazing. It was as good as winning any trophy. And it just took so little time to completely recalibrate our perceptions of who we are as a club and where we belong. That now, you know, a a decent season where we make some good cup runs and finish sixth is like a catastrophe. And like, I'm not saying we should settle for that. We obviously shouldn't, we should want more, but like, we're taking steps to get there. Like, we've taken some bad steps in that post-Pochettino post, post Pochettino journey that did set us back that, you know, we're not geared towards a long-term success. And, you know, maybe this Conte period is going to end in a year or two without laying the foundations for what's next, or maybe it will. I don't know. But, like, I know Conte is a good manager who has won the league very recently with a similarly ish situated club in Italy. Um and we have an opportunity. And I don't know why you would choose not to be excited about that opportunity. Like regardless of of what's actually happening. Like we we think of it as like this like unique Spurs failing when it's like every club is like wildly dissatisfied with with their team most of the time. You know like Man U won the league 57 times in a row and have been pretty mediocre for most of the last decade. Like, Man U fans, even if they're finishing top four, like, that's not where Man U expects to be. They are just as miserable most of the time as we are. You know, Arsenal was an invincible title-winning team (coughs) 15, 16 years ago, and now they're finishing below us, you know? Liverpool didn't win the league for, like, 30 years, you know? There was very recent period where Liverpool were behind us every season, and then all of a sudden they became good and turned it around. Like, everybody's a joke, and everybody at the top of the table with, like, the level of resources we're talking about has the capacity to, like, get better and turn things around. It's not just Spurs.
2: I I think the thing that has kind of gone out of the fan base as a whole, and, and I think this is probably a function of the change in expectations that Ben just talked about and also just a, a a change in the way kind of we've probably started to perceive the world in the last four years. But, but there is like an amount of hopefulness that is no longer part of being a fan. And it has switched to now everything is hopeless. Like, you know, For most of us, when we became Spurs fans, or most of us on this pod, when we became Spurs fans, it was about, like, this is a club that is chasing something. This is a club that is building to something. And and every year was, it was, this was the year that we were going to achieve that elusive thing, that it was going to be top four, that it was going to be trophies, whatever. And then... And then we achieved it. And like Ben said, the expectations flipped all of a sudden. And I'm not saying the expectations shouldn't have flipped, but like now the we look at any amount of falling short of what we had hoped for as being as inspiring hopelessness. And, and it means that we are a failure or, or, or that the club is systemically malfunctioning and, and, because that is that is kind of how so many of our worldviews are now is that is that things are in general in the world like somewhat hopeless and the systems that have been put in place are failing us left right and center and so why shouldn't our football club do the exact same thing and i just don't know how you can look at something that is capable of bringing you such great joy like i don't know how you can look at a team that 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 brought you that that Champions League semifinal in Amsterdam and then go, this sucks, I hate it, everything is bad. Like, I, I just, it frustrates me to no end because it's just like, okay, things are bad in this game. It'll be better. Maybe it'll be better.
0: Well, it's, it's I find it really interesting interacting with other Spurs fans because, like, probably the team that I have, like, followed most closely in my life is the Baltimore Orioles which is a baseball team which for most of my life has not been very good
2: hopeless it's, it's right kind
0: there. of like if I was an Everton like like if I was an Everton fan that's the best way I could explain it. like once upon a time they were very good by and large with a few exceptions pretty bad during my lifetime I have learned because it's the team I follow with my dad it's the team when I lived in Baltimore when I go back to Baltimore I go to games with my dad is a team I followed most closely throughout my life. And I've learned to compartmentalize with those teams because I've watched them bad years. So you learn to... Because if I just focus on how mind-crushingly awful they are, I'm going to, you know, like lose my mind like a lot of Spurs fans are currently losing their minds. So you just focus on... Either you just like find the humor in it or you focus on a couple fun things there are about following the team. And Spurs fans just seem incapable of doing that. And uh, Brian, I think you make a good point. Like... Since I became a Spurs fan, like I have I've gotten a lot out of being a Spurs fan. Honestly, like I get a lot of joy out of watching the team most of the time, you know, certainly before the last few years. Um so even during the last few years, even during Mourinho, like if you can't find some joy in like the way we beat Arsenal or that game against Southampton, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but like I've made a lot of friends through being a Spurs fan that I am very happy that I've made. And I like talking to them about Spurs. And I hate that in some ways that's become a bit of a a bit of a drag because it's so miserable. The fan base has become so miserable. Even if like say you guys and some of the other people I have aren't stooping to those depths, the nature of the conversation has become so just overwhelmingly negative that it's just, you know, it's such a downer and it's like you said, Brian, if you can't, or Ben, Ben, I'm sorry. Like you said, if you can't see the positives of what's going on and learn to like overlook a couple bad results this year, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know why you're doing this to yourself. I mean, we joke amongst ourselves about, like, football is a terrible sport when, you know, like, games go against us or whatever. But it's, you know, by and large fun to watch. And, you know, I don't know. It's, It's just, like, it looks like people, like you said, Brian, are just looking for an excuse to make themselves miserable. And Spurs or football is just, like, the latest reason why.
1: And I think, you know, you talked about the community aspect and it's like, you know, yes, we follow sports for multiple reasons. One of that is like the actual performance of that sport and success on the field and good things. And the other is, you know, the relationships we build, the community we find and, you know, the joy we all get doing this together. And if the only way we can have a community like worth participating in is if the results on the pitch are like immaculate. Like we're just we're not gonna get there. Like that's never gonna happen. You know we're never gonna be Man City. Well, so, well I was why to say, are we
0: speaking for this. American Spurs fans? None of us picked this. Team. Let's all be brutally honest. We're all hipsters who didn't want to root for a front runner. That's for, for Americans who made a decision to support Spurs. That's why we're all here.
1: Mo- yeah, mostly. I think there's definitely some people in the Pochettino era who thought they were getting okay. like Fair the enough. next front runner. <laughs> but I think my point is is like. If you care at all about like the community of being a Spurs fan, the ability to have that can't be so dependent on every single match day's results. And like I feel like we're actively attempting to destroy the good things about what we get as as fans and as a fan community because we can't look past one week, two weeks, three weeks of of poor results. Like, that can't color everything. And, like, I'm not saying, you know, don't be mad about a bad game. But, like, that can't be can't be everything. If that's all you care about, go go watch Man City.
0: Yeah. I want to focus this conversation a little bit. Because today, Conte gave an interview with Sky Italia where he said things like, I'm going to read a few quotes out here. Um, what happened in January is not easy. Four players left in January. Four important players for Tottenham. Two have arrived. So, even numerically numerically instead of strengthening yourself you may have on paper weakened uh, if you want to grow faster and if you want to be competitive faster you need players with a lot of experience but stated he understood that the vision and philosophy is sign younger players Bentancor and Kuliszewski are the ideal prospect for Tottenham because Tottenham are looking for younger players uh young players players to be developed not ready players and so those are the quotes Conte gave today. And I don't want to, like, s- pretend that is not stirring the pot a little bit here. But, like, I don't think, especially if you have any sort of prior knowledge of Antonio Conte and how he's behaved at his other clubs, he's practically being a saint here in terms of how he's talked about this stuff. I mean, compare what he did at Inter, compare what he did at Chelsea, Juventus. Like, I mean, he has been, I think, remarkably restrained given his prior history at Spurs. For some reason, there's been this, like, like you were talking about earlier, Ben, this sort of, like, Spurs fans put on their hair shirts and start whipping themselves because, like, oh, well, what if Antonio Conte leaves before the season's over? What if he's not here next year? Like... I, you know, like after next season, I think all bets are off. But like, if Conte didn't understand that he needs to get through a summer transfer window, I'm not sure what we're doing here. You know, Spurs fans are just getting so negative about these comments. Which, like, again, I would prefer a manager not make these comments. But you know, I, I think we've we've lived through Harry Redknapp and even Pochettino who covered their ass quite a bit um to make sure that like transfer policy didn't reflect negatively on them. Like if. That's clearly what this looks like to me, and I'd rather he not say it, but Spurs fans have lost their minds about this today. Like, they're, you know, they're acting like it's just a huge disaster for the club, and it's just, I don't know, it's like there's a saying in American sports: act like you've been there before, and I don't know what else to say to Spurs fans.
2: Well and I mean look the media is positioning it with like inflammatory headlines that Conte says Spurs weakened in January window and you know Conte derides Spurs transfer vision as as whatever I don't know whatever but like I think by and large the comments are mostly consistent with what Conte has said about us as a club since joining Uh, I agree with you, Greg, that I think there's a certain element of cover your ass in these comments and, you know, make sure that if at the end of the year things don't go exactly as you wanted, that you can say, hey, look, I said that in January we weakened instead of strengthened and, you know, whatever. Um, But I think in terms of the things he's saying about the vision, the things he's saying about us not buying ready players or about us not just being on the same level as the other teams competing for the top four. I, th- I think he said all that before. He said all that in in English language interviews, let alone in Italian language oh, interviews.
0: Alongside, please for patience because this might take a while. So everyone talking about how he's going to leave tomorrow, you know. All he, I, I mean, he's been talking about needing patience. I, I, I. Again, I don't think Antonio Conte is going to be here in five years. But I
1: mean, I think the biggest sin of what Conte said is that it's true. You know, the fact is, is like this is a project we did by players who are going to need time and who look like really good prospects but yeah they're not ready-made stars and you know yes it's a little ass covering it's also like expectation managing he's like explaining why this is going to take some time and I think you know his comments about being weakened doesn't necessarily mean he thinks like we have a worse squad than we did when we went into January but he was saying numerically it has been weakened and yes, we were short on bodies and that's why we're playing Harry winks because, you know, we shed four guys and only brought in two. Like we have a thinner squad and that has consequences. But I think, I think we talked about this at the end of the window. It's good to have that thinner squad. If that's a thinner squad that is going to work with Conte and who is going to buy into his vision for this team and not guys who are going to be disruptive and moody and, you know, feel obliged to play because we spent 65 million pounds on them, whether they're right for the moment or not. And, you know, so we don't have questions from the Spurs press every week of, why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't this guy playing? Like, you know, I think the tone around this club, the fans, the media, and everybody is like, bang for blood. And I think Conte's comments, which should have been like a calm down moment, instead just got everybody even more riled up and, you know, felt like fueling the fire. But nothing in that sounded to me like Conte's like, I fucking hate it here. I don't know what I signed up for. I'm out of here as soon as possible. And like, if that's the case, like, you know what? Fuck him. Like, I don't care. Like... We are who we are, and, you know, we need what we need. And if he can't be willing to, like, work within the constraints of this club, then, like, he's not going to be the guy to take us to the next level. Well,
2: and the thing is, is, like, Conte is not particularly subtle in interviews. Like, he is not, you know, a purveyor of veiled threats. And, you know, like, he just kind of is pretty obvious about, like, if he doesn't like something, like, he left title-winning Inter you know, what, a few days after they won the title because they weren't going to guarantee him, you know, the money or the players that he wanted well, they needed. was there to
0: sell off major assets, which they did. You know,
2: like, you know, so, and, and he'd made them aware of that for months. He'd been saying that in the press and in interviews for months before the season ended. So if Antonio Conte felt like what Ben just said, like, fuck these guys, fuck fuck the vision of this club, he'd have said it. He wouldn't have been like, oh, well, we're weaker on paper. And, you know, what you have to do is you have to accept that we're in this position and not a complete team. And and, no, no. He would have said, you know, this is ridiculous. They bought me worse players. I didn't want any of these guys. I asked for these guys. I didn't get them. They need to – that's what we would have gotten. And so for people to be all – Doom and gloom about it is it's is quite I mean, frankly it's it like ridiculous. like I said
0: I'd rather our manager like tow the company line but, you know Antonio Conte isn't a guy like Pochino who like seemed to really like come up with the club or whatever so it's like it's fine and even Pochino did this kind of like ass covering when he had to talk about transfer windows and stuff so I think you're right Brian I think if there was a real problem with him I think we'd know about it I don't think we'd have to wonder and frankly one of the things that makes me a little calmer about this is like it's not like Daniel Levy's trying is like sitting in his office with like a stick and some water trying to divine what Antonio Conte wants. Like his buddy is running our transfer policy who knows exactly what he wants. And frankly, I think like I feel better about Paratici here, with Conte here, not just because he's a better manager, but because I think Conte's gonna focus Paratici in terms of like, this is what I want, go get it. You know, as opposed to Paratici just like trying to get some random shit like we did this past summer. I don't know. I I just think the way that we have turned these comments into like, you know, another reason to sort of like climb up on that chair and put the noose around our neck is exhausting. And Spurs fans need to like, like you said, Ben, we won like nine weeks in a row. It felt like, like we just, like Conte got here and we instantly just started winning games and we've hit like one rough stretch. Most of which involved playing Chelsea like 20 times you know, and we're all, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of teetering on the edge again. And it's just, it's, it's aggravating to watch, it's aggravating to live through. You know, like we said it last week, I think we said it again this week, there's a lot of positives to take from this club moving forward. There's things that we need to work on, absolutely. There's things that are frustrating, absolutely. But, like, if you can't see the difference between where we were under Mourinho, where we were under Nuno, like, I don't know what to say to you. Yeah. No, I think we're going to leave it there. Once again, the internet's most reasonable Tottenham Hotspur podcast.
2: I just want people to enjoy Spurs. Like, that's all I want. It would like, help
0: if Spurs could help people enjoy Spurs. But yes, yeah, I no, agree. It would be
2: helpful if Spurs were enjoyable. Um, <laughs> but, but we shouldn't get all, like, as depressed about I'll it. I'll tell you right.
0: what, and I'm not counting on this. If we, like, do a snatch and grab from City this weekend... Like a totally undeserved win or draw, and people are miserable about it. Like, I'm so like, you, you, they they need to go find new teams to be miserable about. Cause, like, I mean, honestly, if we
1: lose and people are miserable yeah, about
0: it, like, fair enough. you
1: should just not watch that game and, like, go take a walk, spend time with your family, have no expectations for the day.
0: City like, is probably going to whip our ass, and that doesn't say anything about where this team is.
2: Yeah. Right. No, it, I mean, it's City, not going to be fun.
0: City have lost two games all season, one
2: of which is the. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. Probably not going to lose a second one uh, to us this season. So, if that's the only way that you're going to come
0: out of this feeling good, like just, just pass, just take the week see off. It,
1: see it for Burnley.
0: Take the week off. Uh, yeah. Now, what we need to do is bring Nuno back for one game only. We don't need to. That's do
1: right. That. He's got Pep's number. <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, so hopefully this game is not as bad. I'm, I'm not I'm not excited about this game. I mean, you you watch that Champions League game against Sporting, and you don't feel good about playing City right now. But Derek Dyer's back, so we got that going for us. Yeah, sure. Oh, um, we got this. I think we got this. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> On that note, I think it's time for the the Internet's most reasonable Tottenham Hotspur podcast to end it. Ben, where
1: can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter being way more negative than I sound on this podcast (laughs) at comrade you Spurs. I got to say
0: man, you are much more rational when I talk to you in person about these things than when I, you know, talk to you online anywhere about these things.
1: Like, yeah, when we're all chatting during the game, like I'm mad when we're losing, like it sucks. I don't like losing. And I get frustrated with Conte not doing things that I would do if I were the manager that would clearly make things better. (laughs) But like, After that 90 minutes, like, just take a step back and have some perspective and think about kind of the whole thing in context. Can't spell context without Conte.
0: (laughs) You cannot. You cannot. (laughs) Brian, where can people find you on the Internet?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y.
0: Do you have any uh, coping mechanisms you would recommend to the people?
2: Uh, no, I mean, uh, I would prefer that people just continue not coping, because it gave us, like, half an hour of content.
0: It did, it did. Do you recommend any slopes they should hit, or just, nah, not really? I mean, they
2: know. <laughs> if you know, you know.
1: Not not known for its calming powers. Yeah, the adrenaline is- really gets up when you go skiing. It'll distract right? you,
2: though. Like, you know, you'll find, you'll find something else to do. <laughs> That's fair. It might be like run laps around your house for a half hour, but you know, there will be something.
0: <laughs>
2: and you can find me on Twitter at skipjack 79
0: talking about what slopes Brian is using this weekend. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And don't forget to follow our podcast feed at WDR podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler dealer radio, uh, for Ben, for Brian, for Brett rainbow. Uh, I've been your host, Greg, come on, you Spurs.